All right, we are back here on In The Huddle, and it's time to move on to the next topic that we have today on the show because week two is already in the books. We are on the way to week three, Claire, the game come on tomorrow that we're going to preview on the show. The Browns, the Steelers is going down, but it's still Wednesday. We still feeling the effects of a great loaded, just roller coaster week two. And what we want to do is present a segment paying homage to what we saw in week two. So basically, the segment is as follows. What are some of the NFL surprises and disappointments that we saw through two weeks of the NFL football season already in the books? And Zach, if you want to do the honors, you can kick us off. Yeah, well, so I will start off with two of them just because they're intertwined a little bit. And one is a surprise and one is a disappointment. I'll start off with a surprise. And it's crazy because I wasn't expecting much from this team going into the season. I was expecting them to pick top five. I don't love their quarterback. And just from an overall talent perspective, like I don't think the team is great. But the New York Giants have really stood out to me for a few reasons. And I was just bored uh, this morning and I was looking at Brian Dable's Wikipedia page. I, I was just curious, like I know he's been a lot of places and he's been around the league for a long time, but I, I just wanted a better, clearer view of literally everywhere this guy has been. And this guy has been in the NFL now for over 20 years. And that's impressive because he's only 47 years old. He's not that old. He still has a long coaching future ahead of him. And he's known as a Belichick guy. He started his coaching career with New England. And we know most of the time, those people in the Belichick cocoon, like they don't do well once they leave. And I, I'm looking at Brian Dable and it's interesting. So he's with New England from 2000 to 06, just various places. And then he goes to a couple other places and he fails miserably. He was the Jets quarterback coach. He was the Browns offensive coordinator, the Dolphins offensive coordinator. Uh, and then he goes back to New England and he goes back to Alabama. He works for Nick Saban. And that's usually when you go back to Belichick, we're seeing it right now with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. Like that means you're desperate. That means wherever you're just, you just came from, it really didn't work out. And um, then he finally gets somewhere though. He goes to Buffalo for four years, just about, and he works with Josh Allen and he proves like, okay, I could have some success outside of the new England tree. And then right away he comes to New York. And clearly we know like this giant team, again, it's not the most talented team, but there is a clear difference between watching them under Brian Dable to some of the other coaches they've had, whether it's Joe judge, whether it's Pat Shermer and Ben McAdoo, like it is clear. This staff has a vision. They know what they're doing. The giants have come prepared, ready to play over their past two games. And uh, they have been a, a great surprise. And I think there's just a chance like, okay, even though a lot of other coaches from the Belichick cocoon have just failed miserably, Brian Dable had success in somewhere else, not named New England. As a matter of fact, he developed arguably the best quarterback in the league right now. And uh, there's all the reason in the world to believe, okay, this guy's a good football coach. He knows what he's doing. So the Giants are surprised. My disappointment, another guy from the Belichick tree, and it's Josh McDaniels and the Raiders. And I... <laughs> heard something that Josh McDaniels said the other day uh, after the game. And I, I almost thought I was hallucinating. I had to do a double take. He said that we still have to learn how to win. We're learning how to win. And I'm just sitting here thinking like, didn't you just take over a 10 win team that made the playoffs last year? And didn't you just bring in a wide receiver that literally the last two, three years has been on the best team in the regular season in the NFC. And you don't know how to win. And when you look at Josh McDaniels and his resume, I know that everyone that's worked around him thinks he's a high-level guy, and he had a lot of success as the offensive coordinator in New England with Tom Brady. You know, Brady's a huge fan of him. He's a very important part of all of the Patriot dynasties and 
all the success that he had. But in week one, I, I was willing to give him a pass, even though I did t- tell you, I was like, damn, I really hope Josh McDaniels is not like all the other Patriot coaches and completely in over his head. But even though they lost that game, Derek Carr threw three interceptions. Like when you have to face Justin Herbert, like I'll put that on Derek Carr. You're not going to win a game throwing three picks. But in week two on Sunday, the Raiders are abusing the Cardinals in the first half. That game wasn't close. It wasn't competitive. They were winning 20 to nothing at halftime. And I know that Kyler Murray had a great game, a great performance. He just pulled a couple plays out of you know where, out of complete nowhere. And props to him, he played great. But if you're the Raiders, like, and you're a first year head coach, your home opener, and you have a 20 to nothing half point, halftime lead, like, you cannot blow that game. And it's unacceptable. And when he says, oh, we still have to learn how to win. No, this team is ready to win. It made the playoffs last year. And I was someone that was high on this Raider team. I picked them to get back to the playoffs for the second year in a row. But man, they've been really disappointing to me. And it just shows you like Josh McDaniels, he has never had any coaching success outside the Belichick tree, outside in New England, just like a lot of other guys under Belichick that have failed miserably as a head coach. And we have a pretty good sample size now. It's about 10 years. These Belichick assistants don't work, except for, I think, the guy, Brian Dable, that had some success in Buffalo outside the cocoon of Belichick. So I intertwine those two just because you have two Belichick guys, and I get the rep around the Belichick guys. Is they, they can't do anything once they leave. But I see one guy that's doing really well, and I'm seeing another guy that I think could be on his way to failing miserably. Yeah, I mean, I think Brian Dable is able. You know, Brian Dable is able. That's his model. Like, that's my model for him. Like a picture of his face. On the wall, Brian Dable is able. And that's how I feel about Brian Dable. And that's why, you know, when we reflect back to my quarterback list, and that's exactly why I love doing these lists, because they always have relevance, even to right now and going down the road. And, you know, that's why I believe Daniel Jones, I had him ranked a little bit high. I forgot where. I can't really tell you where I forgot completely. But I had him in the 20s somewhere, and it was higher than what people thought it was. And that's why I was high on Saquon Barkley as well with my takes about Saquon having a bounce back year all due to Brian Dable and he's able. Now, Josh McDaniels is another show. Remember, I ain't like the hire to begin with. I think he's just better off as an OC. Some people are just better off OCs and DCs. You know, um, I think that's where they should be. I know everybody want to elevate their career and to get opportunities, but some people are just meant to stay in their lane. And I think his lane is being an OC. Now, for my surprise and disappointments, I kind of went a little bit more. How can I say it? Just a little bit more creative, add a little spice to it just to. I have one more disappointment, fun. by the way. I'm not done, but. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going to go ahead. and I'm going to pass it back to you and we, we could definitely politic there. I think this first one actually is merging a surprise and a disappointment is actually both. And that is the quarterback carousel that will mean San Francisco. And I'm going to get to specifically where the surprise is and where the disappointments lie for me. Now, I think right now, when you look at those people who believe in the afterlife, they believe in the hell, they believe in heaven, right? Uh, eternity. That's where you end up if you believe in those things, heaven and hell. You'll be in heaven for eternity. You'll be in hell for eternity. I think right now what we have in San Francisco is an eternal quarterback carousel that's not going nowhere anytime soon and the reason why i say so is because unfortunately the injury to trey lance now opened the door for jimmy garoppolo to have the keys to this offense this year and i'm just saying to myself a lot of hypotheticals what if 
Jimmy Garoppolo makes the NFC Championship again in his defense, just like in the Super Bowl and just like last year, okay, had an opportunity to win the game and they blow the game and he loses there. So we're going to use him as a scapegoat again and we're going to go back and try this again with Trey Lance and with all over again. What happens if he makes the Super Bowl? Okay, in a wide open NFC that we all claim is it, it is. What happens if you make the Super Bowl? Okay, so what happens to, you know, do we look Trey Lance and our teammates in the eye and say, well, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo won us the Super Bowl. We should rock with him. You know, it's a lot of what ifs. And I think, you know, the part of the disappointment for me is having to go through this over again. Like, granted, radio shows like us, we talk about them a lot. I think it's a good thing. But just wanted to see some clarity. We thought that this year was Trey Lance's year to be the quarterback for this team. And now we still don't know what he is as a quarterback. We just don't know. We just basically are ending up where we started when he got drafted. We just don't know about this guy. We don't have no answers about him. That's a disappointment. But the surprise is the injury, him being injured in week two, and us seeing Jimmy Garoppolo in week two. Who would have thought that when Trey Lance was given the job and it was like, okay, we done with Jimmy Garoppolo, that it will only take two weeks for us to see Jimmy Garoppolo under center again for this team. And that's why I'm merging the two. Yeah. So this, this whole situation is crazy. Like I just think there's so many layers to it and I'll do my best to explain it and how I feel about it. So from a, just a, a complete, like just basic view, it's obvious the 49ers are better right now with Jimmy Garoppolo than Trey Lance. As soon as Jimmy came into the game, Kyle Shanahan opened up the offense. The players seemed to react to it. And I don't think it's Trey Lance's like fault per se, because in most circumstances, when you're the number three overall pick, you're being drafted to a bad team with kind of room to grow and kind of room to, to mess up a few times. Like we're seeing now with Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence and even Mac Jones to an extent, like they're, they have their ups and downs, but when they have their downs, like no one's really surprised by it. The, the thing here is the 49ers are a team outside the quarterback position, I believe. Like, they're one of the best rosters in the league. They're ready to win a Super Bowl. This roster with Jimmy G has come very close. And even though right now I think they're a better team with Jimmy Garoppolo, I still don't blame Kyle Shanahan for drafting a quarterback and trading up number three uh, to number three because it's been kind of proven to this point. As good as Jimmy Garoppolo is, and even though the 49ers are better with him, like, I'm still not sure if you could win a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo as your quarterback. I don't know if this team could achieve the goal that they've been willing to do the last few years with Jimmy G uh, with some injury concerns. Like, I'm not trying to hate the guy. I, I think he's good. I think he's effective, but he's not an elite quarterback. Like when you are going up against, when he's your guy and you're going up against some of the other best quarterbacks in the league, like you're going to be at a little bit of a disadvantage, but with Trey Lance, he didn't play in uh, 2020 during the COVID year. He didn't play last year. And now he's not going to play all of this year with an ankle injury it leaves the 49ers in a really tough spot. And after this year, like your guess is as good as mine for how this ends. I have no idea, but Jimmy Garoppolo, yeah, but Jimmy Garoppolo, like he's, this is going to be the last year of his contract. Like he's going to be a free agent after this year. So if he has a great year and leads the 49ers to another deep postseason run, which I think is possible, like they're going to be other teams interested. And what do you do then? If you're the 49ers, like you have a quarterback, you traded up three first round picks for uh, you've invested in him, but you have no idea what he is. So it's just a crazy situation that, like, honestly, like, it, it's just wild with so many layers. And, and I'm really looking forward to see how this plays out because it, it's just bizarre. And that's why I called it an eternal quarterback carousel. 
because it's not going nowhere anytime soon. I do believe this team is good enough, presently constructed, to make or even win a Super Bowl. Jimmy Garoppolo is on the center. Now, you know, he should have success. And now when you look at Trey Lance, there's even more unknown. He's hurt. He's injured. He's coming off an ankle injury. Normally, for most guys that are not projects, best case scenario, he's Patrick Mahomes when he comes back. Best case. But I think accurate case, he's like a Jalen Hurts that need about a good two years after, you know, playing for the first time to really show improvements and adjust to the NFL level. So we talking about he's already uh, second year, right? He's a sophomore in the NFL. Next year will be his third year. You're probably going to need two years after next year for him to show you something. And by that time, I mean, what are we doing here? Ross ain't going to be the same. Yeah, I have one more. And this might be surprising to some because I did not pick this team to make the playoffs. I was down on this team compared to most people. But <laughs> everything I've saw, I've seen through the first two games, like they've been way worse than I've expected. And I don't know how that's possible. It's the Denver Broncos. I mean, this team was just sold for about $4 billion in the offseason to the Walmart family, some of the richest people in the world. And right now, they just feel like a low-level operation. Like Nathaniel Hackett has no idea what he's doing. You see every play, the clock is counting down five, four, three, two, and the fans are helping the, the offense by counting out the, the play clock. Like So the team wouldn't have a delay, a game penalty. And then I turn the game on on Sunday. Uh, the Texans have the ball. It's fourth down. And the Broncos, there's a timeout on the field. The Broncos call a timeout. And the announcer's like, what is going on here? Like, why would the Broncos call a timeout when they're just about to get the ball punted to them? And it's like, oh, wait, they didn't even have a guy back there to receive the kick. And like, when I see things like that, it's just like, it feels like a low-level operation. And here's the elephant in the room. I know Nathaniel Hackett is the number one person to blame here based on uh, the way he that Monday night football game against Seattle ended the just awful no-flow play calling in that game against Houston on Sunday. But Russell Wilson doesn't really look like the same player to me. He refuses to run the ball. He wants to throw 40 times a game, and he doesn't have DK Metcalf anymore. You know, he's throwing these 50-50 balls to, to Cortland Sutton and uh, these other receivers that are talented, but they haven't really won anything before. And it's not the same. And this Broncos team has a lot of talent, but I think again, we've, we've hit on the show, uh, hit on this during the show before, like just because you have a talented roster and uh, you bring in a really good quarterback. And again, I'm not blaming the Broncos for trading for Russell Wilson and paying him. That was a trade that anyone who would have been the GM of the Broncos would have been willing to make. But I also think it was just unreasonable to think that this guy with a head coach that really has no business being one and a group of players that have never won anything before, like it, it's not that easy. And right now the Broncos just feel like a low run, like just a kind of like, I don't even know how to describe it, but things are not going well in Denver right now. And I think a lot of people are surprised by it. Just the fact that there's no cohesion. There's a lot of talent in that room, but they're clearly not on the same page. I don't know if anyone knows what's going on. And again, I just go back to that Walmart family. Like I remember that press conference, he pronounced Roger Goodell's name wrong. Like that's how much money he had. Like he had no idea who Roger Goodell was. And he's still like, yep, I'm going to buy an NFL team just because I know I'm going to make even more money from it. And I just don't know how much patience they're going to have because you don't have to be John Madden to tell. Like when you watch the Broncos right now, it's just not going well. Yeah, I think for me, when you talk about Russell Wilson, a guy that's trying to mimic Tom Brady's career, 
He's not doing a good job of doing that. We all saw that hype video. That video just messed up my whole week. That got me tight. The fact that it's blatant and evident that this guy's trying to copy Tom Brady. But what Russell Wilson doesn't realize is if you want to be Tom Brady, there's certain little nuances that you need to take and not ignore if you want to try to copy and replicate and duplicate what Tom Brady is doing. For example, taking pay cuts to surround your team with a championship level team, not for this year. They got a good team this year, but for years to come, right? When the contract really starts to kick in. All right. And now we got to release guys. We're not talking about right now. We're talking about the future. That's something that Tom Brady does. Another thing Tom Brady does, and it's very new to Tom Brady the last couple of years, he wants to, he actually wants the team to run the football more. He's publicly said that. Like, I want Leonard Fournette to run the football more. I don't want to throw 40 times per game anymore because I'm not trying to get hit. In my age, he knows what it takes to win and all the little nuances. And Wilson Wilson just want to be, you know, this prince, you know, pretty boy out here and make all the money, have all the personnel decisions, sit in the press box and try to copy everything that Tom Brady is doing. But there's little nuances that you're missing to jot down. And that's going to come back to bite you. Tom Brady would never play for a coach in Nathaniel Hackett if he was a free agent. You know where he went? All right. There was a couple teams, like three teams that offered him contracts. He went to the team with the most proven coach and Bruce Arians. He would never go to a Nathaniel Hackett coach team. All right. So, yeah, I just wanted to make that clear when it comes to Russell Wilson. I know at a certain age, you start to grow up from like a real like life level. I believe it's like the age of 35. If you don't change by 35, then you're going to be the same person you are at the age of 50 and 60. He's 33. He got two years to get it together. Anyway, <laughs> and, and it's, weird be, it's weird because when he was younger, like it wasn't always like that, you know, like, Better he, Willie. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. But that's what I wanted to make. Um, I think this is underrated when it comes to the quarterback position and the strengths you need to be successful at it. When you're the, the franchise quarterback, the star quarterback, it's it could be awkward sometimes because you're making by far the most money of anyone in that locker room and everyone cares about you. Like you're literally the guy that everyone's eyes are on when they enter the room. And I think when you look at guys like Brady, Josh Allen, Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, all of their teammates love them. They're relatable, even though they're making that much money and uh, they might be a little bit hard to relate to in some aspects. They always just feel like one of the guys they're able to sit down, have a beer, go out to dinner whenever you want. But then when I look at Russell Wilson, I just see Richard Sherman just, you know, hating on him every time he has the opportunity to do so. I have a couple more, but I'm going to talk about two out of the three that I have more extensively than the others just for time purposes. I think for my surprise, quickly here, I would just say Tua, Tokovaloa having the second half and the perfect fourth quarter he did. You know, I already wrote his obituary. Homie alive, homie sat up like the Undertaker. I remember texting in the chat. He's done. He's finished. And he came through and had himself a day. I mean, the, you know, 600... 400 yards, excuse me, six touchdowns. You know, it was a vintage Alabama performance. And I'm just wondering what that performance is going to do to his confidence. If he could build and cash in that money in the bank right now, because this is the time going up against Buffalo week three, you know, to go three, and know, this is to his time to really capitalize off of his own performance and his own lob to finish the dunk. So we have to see if he does. Yeah, not going to lie. Watching uh, that Dolphin-Raven game in the first half, I, I I have to be honest, I did ask myself, if Brian Flores was coaching the Dolphins, would Tua be benched by now? Because I think there was a chance he would have been based on uh, he wasn't great in the first half. But uh, that uh, receiving core of Hill and Waddle, I think it could be, I think it is the best uh, duo wide receiver-wise in the NFL right now. And Mike McDaniel has been really impressive. I think 
The interesting thing with the Dolphins, and they were a team that I know you were high on, a lot of other people will were uh, after all the offseason moves they made. I looked at their first four games, and I was like, damn. Mike McDaniel's first game as a head coach, he has to face Bill Belichick. That is a huge co- coaching mismatch. I don't care how good Mike McDaniel is. Like when you're, it's your first game and you're going up against a guy that has all those Super Bowl rings, like that's not easy. And then you have to go up against Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, and Joe Burrow the next three games. Like how would the Dolphins start the season? And at the very worst, they're going to be two and two. You'd like to get at least one of these next two games, even though they won't be easy. But yeah, that, that fourth quarter was something, man. I mean, it's 35-14 Ravens. I kind of tuned the game out, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm keeping track. It's 35-21 and 35-28. And, I mean, that one that one Tyreek Hill touchdown, too, I think, it, I think it was the one to give them the lead. Like, the Ravens' defensive back just, like, stopped running. Like, since when is that part of the playbook? When you're covering Tyreek Hill, just, to, just he just stood there. It, it was crazy. And, uh, you know, I was someone that was really high on the Ravens going into the season. I picked, I picked them to win the Super Bowl. And in the first half, I was feeling pretty good about that. But uh, that secondary, uh, it's crazy because that's usually the strength of their team. That could be a huge question mark. I think moving on to a disappointment that I have, I would definitely say the Chargers losing to the Chiefs despite dominating the game for like 85% of the game. And the reasons why I say so is because I tweeted about it and I said to myself, a lot of people cannot differentiate the situation when it comes to talking about where Justin Herbert lies in the quarterback, just um the quarterback galore when it comes to Mahomes, Josh Allen, etc. And the reason why I say that is because Mahomes actually got bailed out of four interceptions. Okay, four. Like there was four interceptions that he got bailed out of. One was a drop that could have ended the game pretty much when they was up 17-7. Another was called back because of a call that was a terrible call by the referees. And another was another drop by the same cat, Asante Samuel, in the end zone. He could have intercepted that. And there was another one that was dropped as well. And I'm saying to myself, Mahomes could get away with that and still win the game. And it's like, cool, because we know him to be Mahomes, to be a quarterback that ever since he came to the league, all he has done is win. But Justin Herbert, he throws four interceptions. He's not going to get away with it because he has to be better than what Mahomes has to be for the Chargers. Like he has to be better for his team than Mahomes because he doesn't have the error to make a mistake like he did throwing that interception in the end zone. Literally, that play cost the game, even though there was the four interceptions that, like I explained, could have won the game. That play right there, despite the interceptions, cost the game, like literally. And it's like he only gets to make one error and it's over. But Mahomes could potentially make four and it's not over. They win the game and win the game. Even though the score was closer, almost definitively, like it's crazy to me. And that's why I'm disappointed. Well, let me ask you this. And this is a thought I've had about the Chargers watching them Thursday and really watching them through since uh, Brandon Staley took over. And I will admit, like Brandon Staley looks like he's a pretty good defensive coach. The defense looks much improved and they should be uh, much better than they were last year. But when I watch the Chargers offensively, as good as Herbert is, and they have a lot of weapons, and I know uh, Keenan Allen was out in this game, which may have contributed to it, but there's no, like, creativity. There's no innovation. Like, imagine Brian Dable, and it's funny, like, he was uh, in the uh, conversation to become the Chargers coach when they hired Brandon Staley. Like, imagine Justin Herbert had, like, a creative innovative offensive mind. And and I'm asking this because I know you're really high on Brandon Staley. You picked him to win coach of the year. And again, I think their defense looks much improved, but like we're seeing it with the bears right now too. 
when you have a young quarterback, you need that guy that he could lean on from the offensive perspective. And hopefully, like, as I know defense is important, it wins championships. Like, that, when you have a young franchise quarterback that you are invested so much in, like, you just figure out the rest. And as good as Justin Herbert is, and I agree, like, I watch him and he's elite. Like, there's nothing he can't do. But at the same time, like, as great as he is, why is his – and I know record doesn't mean everything, but why is his record 16 and 18? Like, when you watch him – and you see that record, like, it's impossible. Like, as great as he is, like, and I know wins and losses, it's not technically a quarterback stat, but we know deep down it matters. And as good as he is, like, he has a career record under 500. I just wonder, as much talent as this Charger team has, like, they just need some creativity on offense, I think. I think to start off with the creativity, I think it starts by going for the home run, bringing in an Odell Beckham Jr. Why not? You have Keenan Allen. He always has this hamstring lingering issue. You know, Mike Williams was known to be injury prone. I think he kind of defeated that narrative for the last couple of years. He's been um, relatively dead when you need him. Why not go for the third guy and put a stamp? If the Eagles or any other team can go for it, why not go for it? Why not bring in an Odell Beckham Jr. who you don't need right now, but you can use in the back end of the season heading into the playoffs because you already went all in defensively and you put the pieces. I thought the defense looked great. I, I still believe in this Chargers team because of that defense looking so stout and because they actually are building the team to stop Kansas City the right way. It's about the execution. They did everything different from a good perspective in the sense that a lot of people have this dumb narrative that you beat Kansas City by building your team, when they say build your team to beat Kansas City, they're talking about offensively. I'm going to just put up more points than Kansas City. Um, excuse me. No, that's not the way to go. You want to build your team to stop Kansas City. And that's what the Chargers did this offseason. But it's all about execution. And for 85% of this game, they accomplished that mission. But it's about the winning that gives you that other 15% to make it a 100% effort. Yeah, the other thing I'll say with the Chargers is like, I don't know why they don't throw it deep on first and second down. Every first and second down play is either a handoff or a screen pass or a dink and dunk. Like you have Justin Herbert. Like, why don't you throw the ball deep down the field early? Be aggressive. I know like you have a good defense. Yes. And this is kind of why, like, I know we spoke a little bit about it uh, during the game, but like, I don't think this lost them the game. But when you have fourth and one from midfield, like, what are you doing punting the ball to Patrick Mahomes? Now, I agree with that. They definitely need to be a little bit more creative because we know with the Chiefs, that's their forte, creativity. Andy Reid and the play call, and they always design something up. And even when you have a loss like Tyreek Hill, they're able to economize what they have on the field, even though that rhymes. It's the same thing. But I have one more disappointment, and then I'm done. And that is fan behavior. I want to go a little bit more creativity with this one. Um, It's fan behavior. That's my biggest disappointment. And it was mainly a week two thing. You know, I think there was a couple instances where fans lost their complete minds. One of them being um, the Browns fans in particular, you know, <laughs> one threw a bottle at owner Jimmy Haslam. You oh, got to be foolish to throw a bottle at an owner who's rich, who can make you disappear like that. You you were very bright individual, whoever that individual was. And he also had a picture of a dummy with a erection saying that happy endings. Yeah, the tailgate. Uh, you know, or not illegal, basically a shot at women per se. We all know that the NFL do have women that watch the sport as well. And I thought that was a slight towards them. And also the Kyler Murray incident after the game where they were celebrating 
and one fan just decides to put his hands on Kyler Murray. I think if you're the NFL, it's good to have a good time. I love the NFL atmosphere. I love everything about the NFL on and off the football field. But when it comes to attacking, whether it be athletes or owners or anybody, right? More so athletes than the owners. The owners just walk around with a lot of money. I'm not worried about them more so than the athletes. I think it's very, it shows a lack of, you know, um, just respect to the players. And that's something that you would probably do at a zoo. Like if you had a zoo, you would throw something at a gorilla, you know, because you know, the gorilla can't come out the, you know, cage and attack your behind. So, you know, that's kind of the vibe I get. And that's why I'm disappointed. We spoke about this uh, before during the NBA playoffs, right? A few years ago when uh, that fan threw the water bottle at Kyrie Irving. And then you remember this year, uh, every, the Celtic fans are booing him every time he touches the ball and he's flipping them off from behind. Like, yeah, it's definitely something that I don't think the NFL has really had to deal with much of it yet, but it, it's definitely something that could uh, be a factor going forward. And that Kyler video was crazy. I, I don't know what that fan was doing. It's crazy.